Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Ah, yesterday was Earth Day, 43 years ago. 20 million people stood up, set forth the streets that walking down the main street should see. I think they declared that the planet was our home, you remember? I was, at the time, teaching at Martin Luther King Middle School. That was uh, 1970. I told the students that probably I should be recycled, already having consumed my share of the Earth's resources. <laughs> anyway, they said no, I, I could have a little more, but they were just trying to be nice. I did quit driving a car in 1977. I just walked away, left my Chevy on Hagenberger Road on the way to the airport. Uh, hmm, wonder what happened to it. Anyway, I confess that today, after 43 years, I am somewhat discouraged by the lack of action in the struggle to save our planet. When you have the impulse... Do write to the president and anyone else you can think of. It always helps, you know. Give them a phone call, of course. We know that the earth abideth forever. There will be peace on the globe. There has been in the past, remember, but whether or not our species survives let alone thrives. Now, that is not for me to say. Today, I'm going to indulge myself, always indulging myself instead of saving the planet anyway. I want to... Uh, I want to tell you about uh, the expression of frustration. I think that's the only way I can put it. Uh, this endless struggle to find solutions for problems. Uh, I'm going to try Samuel Beckett. He sets forth my favorite speech on hopeless effort, you know, on the ultimate ambiguity of all human effort. <laughs> It helps me. It helps me to see the absurdity, yes, the absurdity of all my futile thoughts and empty gestures. Uh, I want to hand it to those who are in, uh, what is it, in the, uh, the avant-garde of the struggle, those who are willing to sacrifice even their lives. Uh, I like tree sitters myself. Samuel Beckett has for many years been my existential saint. He's a writer who tells me where we are going and how it is we never get there. 
how we are all waiting for Godot, and you know how that is, right? <laughs> I want to read you Samuel Beckett's take on problem solving, on what is called meeting a challenge. Oh, how I loathe that word. Okay, I'm going to read to you from a play actually done by Jack McGowan. He did excerpts from, oh, all of Beckett's novels, uh, Malloy, uh, so many of them. Anyway, this section is from the novel Malloy. Samuel Beckett writes... I spent some time by the seaside without incident. Oh, there are people the sea doesn't suit, who prefer the mountains or the plains, but personally, I feel no worse off there than anywhere else. I took advantage of being at the seaside to lay in a store of sucking stones. Ah, they were pebbles, but I called them stones. Yes, on this occasion, I laid in a considerable store. I distributed them, distributed them equally between my four pockets and sucked them turn and turn about. Now, ah, this raised a problem which I first solved in the following way. I had, say, 16 stones, four in each of my four pockets, those being the two pockets of my trousers and the two pockets of my greatcoat. Taking a stone from the right pocket of my greatcoat and putting it in my mouth, I replaced it in the right pocket of my greatcoat by a stone from my trousers, which I replaced by a stone from the left pocket of my trousers, which I replaced by a stone from the left pocket of my greatcoat, which I replaced by the stone that was in my mouth as soon as I had finished sucking. Thus, there were still four stones in each of my four pockets, but not quite the same stones. And when the desire to suck took hold of me again, I drew again on the right pocket of my great coat, certain of not taking the same stone as the last time, and as I sucked it, I rearranged the other stones in the way I have just described and so on. But this solution did not satisfy me fully, for it did not escape me that by an extraordinary hazard, the four stones circulating thus might always be the same four, in which case, far from sucking sixteen stones turn and turn about, I was really only sucking four always and always the same turn and turn about. Well, I shuffled them well in my pockets before I began to suck, and again, while I was sucking, uh, and while I sucked before transferring in the hope of obtaining a more general circulation of the stones from pocket to pocket, <laughs> it was only a makeshift and could not long content a man like me. So I began to look for something else, 
And the first thing I hit upon was that I might do better to transfer the stones four by four instead of one by one. That is to say, during the sucking, to take the three stones remaining in the right pocket of my greatcoat and replace them by the four in the right pocket of my trousers and these by the four in the left pocket of my trousers and these by the four in the left pocket of my greatcoat and finally these by the three from the right pocket of my greatcoat. Yes. It seemed to me at first that by so doing I would arrive at a better result. Ah, but on further reflection I had to change my mind and confess that the circulation of the stones... Four by four came to exactly the same thing as their circulation one by one. For if I was certain of finding each time in the right pocket of my great coat four stones totally different from their immediate predecessors, the possibility nevertheless remained of my always chancing upon the same stone within each group of four. And, consequently, sucking not the sixteen stones turn and turn about as I wished, but, in fact, four only, and always the same, turn and turn about, oh, damn, damn the hell with it. Oh, so I had to seek elsewhere. Then in the mode of circulation for... No matter how I caused my stones to circulate, I always ran the same risk. Oh, it was obvious that by increasing the number of my pockets, I was bound to increase the chances of enjoying my stones in the way I had planned, that is to say, one after the other until their number was exhausted. Had I had eight pockets now, instead of the four I did have, even the most diabolical hazard could not have prevented me from sucking at least eight of my sixteen stones turn and turn about. The truth is, I should have needed sixteen pockets in order to be quite easy in my mind, and for a long time I could come to no other conclusion than this that short of having sixteen pockets, each with its own stone, I could never reach the goal I had set myself short of extraordinary hazard, and if, in a pinch, I was to double the number of my pockets, for I had only to divide each pocket in two with the help of a few safety pins, let us say, to quadruple them, was more than I could manage." And I did not feel inclined to take all that trouble for a half measure, for I was beginning to lose all sense of measure after all this wrestling and wrangling and to say all or nothing. I finally reached a solution. Inelegant, assuredly, but sound, sound, all. All that was necessary was to put, for example, to begin with, six stones in the right pocket of my greatcoat as supply pocket. 
five in the right pocket of my trousers and five in the left pocket of my trousers. Now, that makes the lot. Twice five, ten plus six, sixteen. For none remained in the left pocket of my greatcoat, which for the time being remained empty. Good. Now I can begin to suck. Watch me closely. I take a stone from the right pocket of my greatcoat, suck it, stop sucking it, put it in the left pocket of my greatcoat, the one empty, I take a second stone from the right pocket of my greatcoat, suck it, put it in the left pocket of my greatcoat, and so on, until the right pocket of my greatcoat is empty, and the six stones I have just sucked are all in the left pocket of my greatcoat. Pausing then and concentrating so as not to make a mess of it, I transferred to the right pocket of my greatcoat in which there are no stones left. The five stones in the right pocket of my trousers, which I replaced by the five stones in the left pocket of my trousers, which I replaced by the six stones in the left pocket of my greatcoat. At this stage, then, the left pocket of my greatcoat is again empty, and the right pocket of my greatcoat is again supplied and in the right way, that is to say, with other stones than those I have just sucked. These other stones I then begin to suck one after the other, and to transfer as I go along to the left pocket of my great coat, being absolutely certain, as far as one can be in an affair of this kind, that I am not sucking the same stones as a moment before, but others. And when the right pocket of my greatcoat is again empty and the five stones I have just sucked one after the other are all without exception in the left pocket of my greatcoat, then I proceed to the same redistribution as a moment before or similar redistribution. That is to say, I transfer to the right pocket of my greatcoat once again available the five stones in the right pocket of my trousers, which I then replace by the six stones in the left pocket of my trousers, which I replace by the five stones in the left pocket of my greatcoat. And there I am. Ready to begin again. Do I have to go on? No. For it is clear after the next series of sucks and transfers, I shall be back to where I started. That is to say, with the first six stones back in the supply pocket. The next five in the right pocket of my stinking old trousers. And finally, the last five in the left pocket of same. And my sixteen stones will have been sucked once at least in impeccable succession. Not one sucked twice. Not one left unsucked. But leap down... I didn't give a tinker's curse. It was all the same to me whether I sucked a different stone each time or always the same stone till the end of time for they all 
tasted exactly the same. And if I had collected sixteen, it wasn't to suck them, turn and turn about, but simply to have a little store, so as never to be without. Oh, but deep down, I didn't give a fiddler's damn about being without. When they were all gone, they would be all gone, and I wouldn't be any the worse off, or hardly any. So the solution to which I rallied in the end was to throw away all the stones but one, which I kept now in one pocket, now in another. Which I, of course, soon lost, or gave away, or threw away, or swallowed. That is the end of Samuel Beckett's treatise. <laughs> yes, compulsive obsessive disorder he has. How to solve your problems? Yes. <laughs> okay. I have just a little chance here to read you some more Beckett. I'm going to indulge myself because I love him so much. I was going to combine him with Gertrude Stein today, but somehow or another I think Gertrude Stein needs uh, time to herself. I think of them as my mother and father, Gertrude as my father, Gertrude Stein as my father figure, and Samuel Beckett as my mother figure. Uh, let's see. I will read you this section from beginning to end. This was a, a collage that Jack McGowan did on KQED, I think. Oh, gosh, 25 years ago. More than that. Anyway, this is the section in which the uh, the speaker, I suppose it could be Samuel Beckett or one of his old men, is in the desert, banging his head against two great stones, one of which is his father and the other his mother. And, you know, the whole scene is full of bits and pieces of this and that, uh, sand, wire, stones, this and that. Uh, and he sinks down and begins to speak. And he says... If I was to begin it all over again, knowing what I know now, the result would be the same. And if I was to begin again a third time, knowing what I would know then, the result would be the same. And if I was to begin it all over again a hundred times, knowing each time, a little more than the time before, the result would always be the same in the hundredth life as the first, and a hundred lives as one. A cat's flux. They said to me, That's love. 
Oh, yes, yes, not a doubt. Now you see how easy it is. They said to me, that's friendship. Yes, yes. No question you found it. They said to me, here's the place. Stop, raise your head and look at all that beauty and that order. They said to me, come now. You're not a brute beast. Think upon these things and you'll see how all becomes clear and simple. They said to me, What skilled attention they get. All these, dying of their wounds. I say to myself sometimes, You must learn to suffer better than that. If you want them to weary of punishing you one day, I say to myself sometimes, You must be there better than that. If you want them to let you go one day. But I feel too old and too far to form new habits. Good. I'll never end. I'll never go. Suddenly one day it ends. It changes. I don't understand. It dies or it's me. I don't understand that either. I ask the words that remain. Sleeping, waking, morning, evening. They have nothing to say. I open the door of the cell and go. I am so bowed I only see my feet. If I open my eyes and between my legs a little trail of black dust. I say to myself that the earth is extinguished. Though I never saw it lit. It's easy going. When I drop, I'll weep for happiness. The stride of a grave and a difficult birth. Down in the hole, lingeringly, the grave digger puts on the forceps. We have time to grow old, the air is full of our cries, but habit is a great deadener at me, too. Someone is looking. Of me, too, someone is saying. He is sleeping. He knows nothing. Let him sleep on. I can't go on. And what? What have I said? I can't go on. I must go on. I'll go on. I must say words as long as there are any until they find me, until they say me strange pain, strange sin. I must go on. Perhaps it's done already. Perhaps they have said me already. Perhaps they have carried me to the threshold of my story before the door that opens on my story. That would surprise me. If it opens, it will be I and the silence where I am. I don't know. I'll never know. In the silence, you don't know. You must go on.
I can't go on. I'll go on. Well, there I am. There we are. There I am. That's enough. One more snippet of Sam Beckett. <laughs> Poor old lousy old Earth, my Earth, and my fathers and my mothers, my fathers' fathers, my mothers' mothers, my fathers' mothers, my mothers' fathers, my fathers' mothers' fathers, my mothers' fathers' mothers, my fathers' mothers' fathers. Mothers, fathers, 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 mothers, 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 fathers, 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 mothers, 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 and everyone else's fathers and mothers and excrement. Oh, the crocuses and the mimosas turning green every year a week before the others and the pastures red with uneaten sheep's placentas and the long summer days and the new mown hay and the wood pigeon in the morning and the cuckoo in the afternoon and the corn crake in the evening and the wasps in the jam and the look of the gorse the smell of the gorse and the apples falling and the children walking in the dead leaves and the lilacs turning brown a week before the others and the chestnuts falling, the howling winds and the sea breaking over the pier and the first fires and the hooves on the road and the consumptive postman whistling that roses are blooming in and the standard oil lamp, of course, the snow, and to be sure, the sleet, and bless your heart, the slush, and every fourth year, the February debacle, and the endless April showers, and the crocuses, and then the whole bloody business starting all over again. Oh, and then all kinds of fantasies that I'm being watched, a rat steps Repel, and then I'll, I'll babble, babble words like the solitary child who turns himself into children. Two, three, so as to be together and whisper together in the dark, moment upon moment. And all life long, you wait for that to mount up to a life. Oh, let's get it over with. Christ. I think I will stop there today. Samuel Beckett is always my uh, my comfort, especially when the weather is so beautiful and everything looks to be <laughs> so, so perfect, so, what is the word, so springtime. And I, I feel like I should sing happy songs, then of course I go immediately to dust the graves and find find the existential angst of dear old Samuel Beckett. Uh, okay, this has been Jennifer Stone reading to you from the works of the late, great Samuel Beckett, a great Irishman. As great as my father and my father's fathers and all the fathers. I'll be back again next Tuesday at 3 o'clock. Until then, 
go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light 'em up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. The four-term Congresswoman of Georgia, 2008 Green Party presidential candidate, and international peace activist Cynthia McKinney will kick off her speaking tour, Latin America, Africa, and Obama, and her international book tour for her new sophomore release, Ain't Nothing Like Freedom. On Wednesday, April 24th, Ms. McKinney will be speaking at the Laney College Forum on 900 Fallon Street in Oakland at 6 p.m. Thursday, April 25th, she will be speaking at the Arlene Francis Center, located at 99 6th Street in Santa Rosa at 7 p.m. And on Friday, April 26th, she will be speaking at the Romex Center, which is located at 30 East Santa Clara Avenue, Suite 270 in San Jose at 6.30 p.m. All events are wheelchair accessible. These events will also be hosted by BlockReportRadio.com. This is a benefit for the San Francisco Bayview newspaper. You're listening to KPFA 94.1 in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, and 88.1 KFCF in Fresno.